like that. Hello, you everybody, and welcome that. to this, like this Monday. I almost forgot what day it was. Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I'm very excited to be here today, as per usual, and I hope you are all here and excited to listen to another edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I greatly appreciate it. So make sure, if you really appreciate the content that you are hearing through your ear holes on this beautiful Monday, I can't really say the same for Wednesday. Wednesday going to be freaking hot, but Monday is still livable. And I hope you're enjoying it. So before we get into anything, make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. we got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, you are listening to it right now. Make sure you're following on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Twitter account is Logan underscore Blackman. The Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, to search The Logan Blackman Show. Subscribe and like and follow on both. And again, this is the most important one because the only way you can listen to the podcast is make sure you are following the Apple Podcasts and Spotify account. Leave a rating on a five stars on both. You can leave a rating on a one star. I don't really care. Just leave a rating. I would greatly appreciate it. Leave a comment below on why you feel your rating is justified. And yeah, just make sure you are you are subscribed. And if you're following all those different forms of social media, you can access the Logan Blackman Show podcast. You can also go to the LoganBlackmanShow.com, access blog posts. You can go to the past three podcast episodes. You can do all that awesome stuff. And you can access the merch, which we have not plugged in a little bit. But if you want to get some fresh Logan Blackman Show merch, I know it's I know it's it's hot. It's gonna be 104 degrees on Wednesday. It's freaking hot. But we are in the month of August. And the month of August means that football is right around the corner, and football right around the corner means changing the weather, and changing weather means it's going to get a little colder. Leaves going to be falling off the trees and stuff like that. So you might as well get some sweatshirts. we got the most comfortable sweatshirts you can buy available in the Logan Blackman Show store.com. Teespring has done a great job outfitting people with some of the greatest looks you can get. You can also buy just regular shirts and stuff like that as well, but... The sweatshirts are where I, I like the sweatshirts the most. I love wearing sweatshirts. I, I haven't worn a sweatshirt in a little bit. Why? Uh, well, uh, it has been a little toasty. As we have said, it has been a little toasty. So sweatshirts, not really a thing right now. I do wear sweatshirts to work out, which, I don't know, has been beneficial at times. Has also hurt me at times because I get too hot. And yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not, sometimes not the best feeling in the world. But hey, you do what you do. But with... That being said, with all that great stuff being said, we talked about college football being right around the corner, just football being right around the corner. As we said on Friday, we got the Hall of Fame game taking place on Thursday, which is ridiculous. I didn't even realize that was this Thursday until we recorded the show last Thursday. Like I, I it completely spaced off. I did not it did not even register in my brain that the Hall of Fame game was on Thursday. It really didn't. Like, I was talking to my friends last night. I went over to and my friend Andrew and Jared's place, Jared was not there, but Andrew, Steven, and Spencer, I think we brought them all up on the show before, we were watching some UFC fights, I was like, you guys ready for football? Andrew's like, yeah, yeah, we got football coming up in what, a month? I said, no, we got it coming up on Thursday. Thursday, we've got NFL football, yes, it is the Hall of Fame game, but that does not really matter because it's still NFL football. Regardless of how, how much the starters play... And if the starters even play, I don't know how much we're going to see the likes of Devontae Adams or maybe even, I bet Derek Carr will play probably a, a drive and then they'll take him out because, I mean, when your players are established starters, you're not really going to need them to prove themselves in preseason. But the Raiders, they're trying to figure out their backup quarterback situation. 
because they just let Marcus Mariota go down to Atlanta to play under uh, Arthur Smith and the Falcons. So who are the Raiders' backup quarterbacks right now? I guess I don't even really know this right now. Let's check. Let's see what we got for the Raiders' backup quarterbacks. We have got Chase Garbers from Cal. I do like Chase Garbers. We also got Nick Mullins and Jarrett Stidham. Remember that awesome picture from like a year or two ago of Jarrett Stidham sitting on the throne? Like he was going to be the guy, the heir apparent to Tom Brady. And now he's on what? I, he was on another team last year, I believe, right? Now he's on the Raiders and potentially losing out to the backup spot. No, he's okay. He went, he signed with the Raiders this offseason. But that picture was so funny. And Jared Stidham was a good college quarterback. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. The dude could play. Dude could play in college. He balled out at Baylor before transferring to Auburn, put up good numbers at Auburn. Was a decent draft pick by the New England Patriots. Was lined up to replace Brady. And then uh, they signed Cam Newton. And then it was like, okay, if you can't beat out that version of Cam Newton, you ain't beating out anybody for the starting job. And then they drafted Mac Jones last year. And then Jared Stidham was surplus to requirements. Now he's with the Raiders. And Chase Garbers... We're on the topic of the Raiders quarterbacks. Chase Garbers is the most mobile by far out of all these quarterbacks. Chase Garbers is really incon somewhat inconsistent passer, but he's a very mobile quarterback. Very, 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 very mobile quarterback. Like last year, 456 yards. Nothing to really brag home about. Like it's a decent number of yards, but he was on a bad Cal team or a not great Cal team. I think Cal should have been a lot better what they were the past couple years. He didn't play a lot in 2020, but the Pac-12 – had all their issues with COVID. They canceled the season, and they brought it back, and they canceled it, and then, like, Washington opted out of the Pac-12 championship game. It was all this different mayhem. But Chase Garbers is a pretty good quarterback, and he, I will see, I'm interested to see how they utilize him in this offense with the running style. But, again, I don't know if Derek Carr will play all that much, if he plays at all, because Nick Mullins, it, it's weird to think about this. Nick Mullins is the all-time leading passer in yards per game and San Francisco 49ers history. And this is a storied franchise with a great list of quarterbacks. And <laughs> Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins is the all-time leader in passing yards per game on average. That is, that is an insane stat to me. That is an insane stat. So I'm what I'm going to guess right now is that Nick Mullins starts. That's what my gut feeling is. I'm not saying that He's the guaranteed guy to be the backup at the start of the season. But I would imagine he will start the game. I really don't know if Derek Carr is going to play. And again, if he plays, it'll be a drive. Because he is an established starter for the Las Vegas Raiders. That's just how it's going to work out. And people utilize their stars differently. Like the Chargers. Brandon Staley, the head coach for the Chargers, does not believe in playing starters in the preseason. If you know who your starters are... Playing them in the preseason is a nice little tune-up. Give them a drive or so, two drives maybe. Give them a quarter and probably the last game of the preseason just to get them flowing. But majority of the time, you know who they are. They don't really need to prove anything. And playing well in the preseason doesn't always mean you're going to be a very good quarterback or a very good player in the regular season. Nathan Peterman is the epitome of preseason legend. Nathan Peterman... When Josh Allen got drafted in 2018, Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron were competing for the starting job. Josh Allen was firmly the backup at that point. Josh Allen got drafted. He was considered the biggest project at all the quarterbacks in the draft, him and Lamar Jackson. So it was Peterman versus McCarron. And Peterman obviously had the five-interception game against the Chargers in the first half of the season prior. Had very mixed reactions that season. But he was going into the season, and the preseason looked really good. He looked awesome. 
I was like, okay, Nathan Peterman's going to start the season, and then they'll move to Josh Allen next year. That's what the thought process was. And then Nathan Peterman put forth one of the worst performances I've ever seen against the Baltimore Ravens on my parents' wedding anniversary in 2018, forcing Josh, because they traded McCarron away to the Raiders right after, because you don't need three quarterbacks at that point. You got Der- you got Nathan Peterman, you got Allen. That's all you really needed at that point. And then Peterman sucked so bad that they had to play Josh a lot sooner. Like if you look, and we've talked about this about a thousand times in the show. If you look at the 2018 draft class in the first round, every single quarterback apart from Josh Allen was set up with a structure of some sort. They had a veteran there. I'm not saying the structure was great. You look at the guy like Sam Darnold. Coaching situation wasn't great, but he had veterans there when he was drafted. They had Teddy Bridgewater and Josh McCown on the roster when he was drafted. Baker Mayfield had Tyrod Taylor. Josh Rosen had Sam Bradford. Lamar Jackson had Joe Flacco and RG3. So you had a guy who had been to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, and a guy that had a similar-ish skill set to Lamar Jackson and RG3. Josh had Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron. Now, could the Bills have kept Tyrod Taylor? Sure. But there were some contract situations going on with Tyrod that didn't work out, so they traded him to Cleveland. Got a third-round draft pick for him, I believe. I believe. I could be wrong. It might have been a fifth-rounder. I don't really remember what they got for him, but it was... Josh was rushed in there way too quickly. And when he got hurt against Houston, Nathan Peterman came in, looked good before throwing the game ceiling pick six. But then Josh came back against the Jaguars, and Josh, what you saw then, yeah, his numbers weren't the greatest, but when you watched him, it was like, okay, there's something there. So that's why I always hate when people compare like numbers of rookie quarterbacks with Josh Allen, because again, Josh Allen's the anomaly here. You're not going to get a player like Josh Allen. Like, not every rookie number is like Drew Locke got compared to Josh Allen all the time. But yeah, apart from rapping Jeezy, Drew Locke didn't really have any moments for the Denver Broncos where it was like, yeah, this guy's legit. You had hope. He had talent. He had a good arm. But apart from rapping Jeezy, I don't really remember anything Drew Locke did. Josh Allen hurdled Anthony Barr in his second start ever. <laughs> On the road when they're 14 and a half point dogs in Minnesota go out winning by 20 points. Like, you had those moments. You had the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Jalen Ramsey game, his first game back from injury. Great game for Josh. Great game. And the game against the Dolphins at the end of the season. Like, those were moments where it was, yeah, this guy's got something. He ran for, like, almost 800 yards his rookie year. And he barely played. That was the crazy part about it. But, yeah, long story short here, I guess. <laughs> I didn't plan on bringing up Josh Allen, but preseason is not really a big uh, sign of what's to come. Because remember last year, Jamar Chase was dropping every single ball thrown to him, and everybody was like, oh, Panay Sewell's had zero drops this year. They should have drafted Sewell. Because Chase, there was some weird thing that it was like, he can't track the spin of the ball because there's no white on the football, because that's the difference between college and NFL footballs. Like college football and high school football, for that matter, and most footballs, have two white strips on each end of the football. NFL does not have that. I don't really know what the whole thing is for. It might be a grip thing. It might be a so the receiver sees it. I don't I don't know. I've never really understood what it's for because when I throw an NFL style football and a normal football like a Spalding or a Wilson football versus what, what does the NFL have Wilson footballs? I guess the Wilson one, okay, whatever. The ones with the freaking stripe on it, that one. I don't really notice a massive difference, but I don't know. I, I've, I've never reached that level to where <laughs> I'm knowing the exact 
uh, science behind each football and what the stripe is for and what it's not for. But college, you get that. So I I can slightly understand where that had been a thing, but hey, it didn't really matter. Jamar Chase balled out, broke every single rookie receiving record, helped the Bengals get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, very deserving of a top five pick. And with that, going off of college football, we're 27 days away from the first game of college football. That is insane. Like, we talk about the, the, the Hall of Fame game coming up and things like that. But college football in the state of Iowa, when you don't have an NFL team, I remember this used to be a big gripe with people that weren't from the state of Iowa that came from states that had NFL teams. Like, you had people from Missouri, you had people from Georgia, you had people from California, you had people from Louisiana. Like, you had all these people come in, Florida, and it was like, if you don't have an NFL team, your legitimacy as a state goes down, apparently. That's what I got told numerous times. But I would argue that the atmosphere at the Iowa Hawkeyes, or even the Iowa State Cyclones or at Kinnick Stadium or Jack Trice, is better than the atmosphere you're getting down in Jacksonville for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I would argue that. And Iowa State and Iowa have had their negative times in the past few years. Like, Iowa State, my entire life until Matt Campbell got there, was irrelevant. Like, I really... You disliked Iowa State not because of what they were as a team, but because of their fans. It was kind of an issue you had with the fans versus what you actually disliked about the team. Because they really no problem. Like, Iowa State would have the odd seven, six, seven win season, but then the next year they go 2-10 and ten or 3-9 and nine or something like that. But Iowa State, to their credit, they pack out Jack Trice. They pack out Jack Trice. Even now, they expanded the stadium. I think the stadium's about 60-something 60, 60 thousand. It was in the 40s and 50s for a little bit. But I would argue that that atmosphere there is better than any atmosphere that's ever been down in Jacksonville. Ever. And especially what's ever going on in Los Angeles with the Rams and Chargers. I would argue those two versus the state of Iowa, which is a lot smaller population-wise, than Jacksonville, Florida, and Los Angeles, California. But the atmosphere is better because in college football, what you get is community. You're rallying around teams that your family's invested in, your families went there. In the NFL, you have people that you know, have been lifers. They've been around the team forever, but they never played for the team. You never went to the universe. You never went anything with the team. You just grew up in the city, and you're like that diehard team. Iowa, you have family members that have gone to these schools, that have gone through the universities, that are working still in the state of Iowa, and they grow up, and it's like generational things. Like That's one of the other things I kind of like about the state of Iowa, is that with the NFL, you have a mixed bag of all these different teams that people like. All got their different reasonings. They got the Packers, Vikings, Bears, Chiefs, those are the four most popular teams in the state. And then the Steelers are probably number five because, as we talked about before, the Iowa Hawkeyes took the Pittsburgh Steelers uniforms because Tayden Fry said, you want to play like winners, you got to look like winners. So I would say the Steelers are up there. You got the Dallas Cowboys because they're quote-unquote America's team. Like the Rams were popular for a little bit, but then they moved to Los Angeles. I don't know if a lot of people really care about them, but Kurt Warner played there for a little bit, so they built up popularity in the state. Not a lot of Lions fans. There's not a lot of Colts fans. There's a few Broncos fans. There's a few Broncos fans, but mostly it's the five we mentioned before. We got the Packers, Vikings, Bears, Chiefs, and the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Those are the probably the top five. But again, you don't have that in other states where you got Midwest teams and then a freaking Pennsylvania team 
as the top teams in the state. <laughs> We've got other Midwest teams and teams in the central of, st- of the country that are not even getting mentioned there because the Steelers are there. But that's, again, the connection with the University of Iowa. My grandpa Roger was a, gra- a Pittsburgh Steelers fan because of the black and gold. Not He wasn't a Steelers fan first. He was a Hawkeye fan and then Steelers fan. Like you have those connections. You make connections. Like people choose their favorite NFL teams because of some of the players they are on the team that they cheered for in college. Like the Packers and Bills always have an Iowa player on them. Seemingly always have Iowa players. Vikings had Chad Greenway forever. The Chiefs had Ed Podolak. They're using their freaking ring of honor. Eddie Podolak. So yeah, in the state of Iowa, I know we talk about the NFL a lot on this show, but the state of Iowa is a is a college football state. College football state. Like you have, I, I know they're smaller universities, and I've had this saying before, because I went to UNI, and Iowa State, it's really only Iowa State that have this issue about you can't cheer for the team. If, you're, if you didn't go to the university, you can't cheer for the team, which I've never really understood. But like, with you and I, I follow the UNI Panthers football team. I follow their basketball team immensely. I barely missed a basketball game when I was up at UNI. I worked for games when I was work, watching when I was at college. I filmed games for UNI football. So I've been, I put in my time at UNI, and I'll cheer for them every time they play. But I went to UNI for two and a half years. I was an Iowa fan for what twenty-one and a half of those years. I had no connection to UNI, but because of those two and a half years at UNI, I have to throw away all my previous affiliation with the University of Iowa because I went to UNI. That doesn't make any sense to me. That does not make any sense whatsoever to me. And I think that's a problem with UNI because if you look at like those sporting events, like basketball and football, unless it's a big-time conference game or they have a big-time – like North Carolina came to town a few years ago to play UNI in the McLeod Center because Marcus Page was graduating. Unless you have that – or a game against Drake that's going to decide the conference or whatever, people are going to go to Iowa Iowa State to go to football and basketball games. You don't have, especially in the center of the state, you do not have people that grown up Northern Iowa Panther fans. Rightly or wrongly, you don't have that. And if you do, it's very minimal that you have that. So you and I, as opposed to Iowa Iowa State, does not have that quote-unquote longevity in regards to yeah, my parents went there, her parents went there. Because the people that did that grew up Iowa fans. No one, re- even if you go to Cedar Falls, Iowa, you'll see Iowa Hawkeye flags everywhere. No one grows up normally, there's odd cases out there, but no one really grows up Northern Iowa fans. They don't. And that's sad, but that's how it is. Like, I would go to football games when I was working there. I was like, man, there's no one here. But who are you when you're when you're a college student? What are you going to decide? Are you going to go watch you and I take on Southern Illinois, or are you going to go watch Iowa versus Ohio State? You're going to watch Iowa Ohio State, and I I shouldn't say Southern Illinois, South Dakota, because that was the exact scenario. Iowa versus Ohio State was the game that Iowa destroyed Ohio State, destroyed them. What was it, fifty five seventeen? Or 5524, something like that. I was at UNI South Dakota. Because I got recruited by South Dakota, and my sister was going up to UNI, so we went up to the game. And then I ended up going to UNI as well. But there was no one there. Two games are taking place at pretty much the exact same time. And even then, you're at 
Kinnick Stadium beforehand tailgating. You don't have that tailgate atmosphere really at UNI. You have people that tailgate, but it's not the same as Iowa Iowa State. And it can be hard to watch sometimes. It can be. Because when you don't have crowds, it can be kind of hard to get up. You're trying to pump up the crowd and everybody's looking at their phone following what Iowa Iowa State are doing. And I like Des Moines, like apart from Drake, ba- I grew up a Drake basketball fan, but because they were playing top level of college basketball, they're a D1 FBS technical program. They would play Iowa and Iowa State. Drake in football, people don't even know they're FB, they're a D1 program in football. Like when they went up to play Iowa State a few years ago, everybody was like, oh my God, what? Iowa State stooping down that low? It's like, okay, they're the same level as you and I. They're in different conferences, but they're D1 non-scholarship. But they're the same level as you and I. So it's not a big drop-off. I wish Drake and you and I played more in football. I don't remember the last time those two schools played each other, but Drake played Montana State last year. Now, would Drake do well in these types of games? No, no, because again, they're non-scholarship. Drake's a very big-time brain school. So if you don't have the brains... You ain't getting a scholarship. You ain't getting an athletic scholarship for football anyways. I don't know how it works with basketball but and all those other sports, but people don't even know Drake's D1. Like, most of the people I talk to, it's like, oh, yeah, Drake's D2. No, they're not. They're a D1 program, but no one thinks about that because, one, there's not a lot of coverage around Drake football because, again, we got Iowa and Iowa State to cover. And we're in Des Moines. Drake is in Des Moines. Iowa State's 30 minutes away. Iowa's an hour and a half away. But we're going to cover those two schools before we cover Drake. Don't even get me started on bringing up Grandview or William Penn or Wartburg or Co. or whatever tiny D3 to NAI school out there. They ain't going to get no coverage here unless they're doing really good. You're not going to see highlights of Drake or Grandview or William Penn, especially not William Penn. And my dad was not really happy about that watching the news. You don't see William Penn. The year that William Penn, when I was there, we were joint conference champs with Grandview. You never saw any William Penn highlights, but you saw a shitload of Grandview stuff when the, the season got over, not when the season was going on. You never, you never saw highlights of Grandview versus Central Methodist because it was going to be able no one cared. But you'd see highlights of Iowa versus like Maine or something like that where they're blowing them out, but no one cares about Grandview football in the grand scheme of things. I know there's people that care. I don't want to say... I don't want to make it sound like there's no fans of Grandview football or no fans of William Penn. I'm a fan of William Penn football and screw Grandview. But in the grand scheme of things, comparatively, there's no fans of those schools in the state of Iowa. Really. As harsh as that might be, no one's going to go to those games traditionally unless you're a student or live in the area than an Iowa game or an Iowa State game. Or hell, even a UNI game. Unless you have skin in the game, you're probably not going to go to those games. That's the harsh reality of it. But man, that's kind of a, a thing I've had. I've had an issue with that before. Like, you can't go to the school. You, 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 if you can't be a fan of the school, you didn't go to. Like, oh, this Iowa fan, but they went to Kirkwood? Okay, first off, Kirkwood doesn't have a football team. At least if they do, I've never heard of it. So who the hell else are you supposed to cheer for? <laughs> he ain't cheering for whatever the hell Kirkwood School is, is. Like my friend Ryan, he went to Iowa State, grew up an Arkansas fan, so he can't be an Arkansas fan because that's Iowa State's rule that I see on Twitter all the time during football season. 
Every time an Iowa fan speaks out about something, oh, you went to Kirkwood, oh, you went to UNI, oh, you went to XYZ, whatever, your argument's not valid. We, I win. Like, I see that all the time. So, I don't know. It, it's, just some, it's just funny. It's just funny how that works out. I have multiple family members that graduated from the University of Iowa. I was a fan of Iowa for 21 and a half years. Never had any affiliation with UNI for 21 and a half years. But those two and a half years... Ah, man, I got to throw away all those other 21 and a half years because now I'm a diehard UNI Panther fan because I went to the school because of an opportunity to work for ESPN. And I did that. So I didn't do that because of the athletic program at UNI because I wasn't going to play athletics. If I played football for UNI, then, yeah, that's different. That's different. I If I played for UNI, oh, yeah, I'm a UNI fan through and through. And, again, I'm still a UNI football fan. I'm still a UNI basketball fan. I would say more so in basketball, I would cheer for you and I against Iowa. I never grew up really an Iowa fan. I was an Iowa basketball fan because I was an Iowa football fan. Never really was like, yes, let's go Iowa basketball. I had favorite players growing up, like Adam Haluska. I went to Jeff Horner's basketball camp. But when I was growing up, again, I was more a Drake fan. I could go to games easy. No one's going to go. And that was the thing Iowa had problems with growing up basketball-wise. Like, they have Tuesday night games. No one's traveling from Des Moines, hour and a half out east, to watch Iowa, whoever they're playing, on a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, driving all the way back to Des Moines. Football, yes. But again, this is a football state. You ain't a basketball state. Especially, definitely not a basketball university in the University of Iowa. Like, I went to my first ever Iowa basketball game this year. One, I guess two of them. My first two Iowa basketball games. The first Iowa State game. Went to the Cyhawks series in, in Hilton, and then to Iowa-Michigan State, they retired Luca Garza's number and uh, Roy Marble's number, and a bunch of other numbers. I don't remember who else was there, but those were the two. Like, the atmosphere in Hilton versus the atmosphere in Carver is night and day, night and day. No one cares at Carver. When you're so used to the football stadium and how atmospheric the football stadium is, and then you go to Carver, one, it's, I don't know, what is it, 16,000 people as opposed to 70,000? So it's a big difference atmosphere-wise in regards to crowd size, but then there's no fan involvement. No one really gets that hyped. Hilton, that's, that's crazy. I think Iowa State, we talked about this before, about them versus like Jacksonville and L.A. for fandom. Like even USC, how big of a program USC is, you'd see Hil- uh, Jack Trice filled up more than you'd see L.A. Memorial Coliseum or even the Rose Bowl with UCLA. Big Ten schools now. But I'll give Iowa State props for this. Iowa State is one of the most loyal fan bases of all time. No matter how annoying their fans are, how much they complain about refs, like the refs have some big obligation and big vendetta against Iowa State football. That's this whole other thing. But they are loyal to the core. They're loyal to the soil. I give them all the credit in the world for that. I went to a UNI-Iowa State game. I got shoulder checked because I had a Beat State shirt on. And the only reason I wore it is because my friend Brady, who I was with, told me not to wear it. So I was like, I'm wearing it now. <laughs> you ain't telling me what to wear. I'm older than you. I'm wearing it. I don't care if you made a game-winning field, 52-yard field goal in Ankeny. I'm wearing the shirt I want to wear. If he never said anything, I probably wouldn't have worn it. I would have probably just worn a – I wouldn't have worn an Iowa State shirt. I'm not one of those people. Like, we went to the Vikings-Cowboys game last year on, th- on Halloween. My friends Noah, Jared, and Brady went. Like, Brady put on a Vikings sweatshirt. Brady's a Chiefs fan. I ain't ever putting on another team's colors when I'm going to a game if my team's not playing. I had a Bills hat on. 
Like I'm, I ain't going to this Vikings game and putting on Vikings stuff, and I'm sure hell ain't putting on Cowboys stuff. I dislike both teams, but I hate the Cowboys more. But I, you ain't catching me wearing no Vikings crap, or any team for that matter. So I would have just probably worn that Iowa State game and just probably found a gray shirt and just throwing it on and worn that. Went, and they got pop. Because one thing I do like about Jack Trice, it's not on both ends now, but it was on the, it, was, it used to be on both ends. You had the hills. I always kind of liked that. Nice little, nice different thing. You can look up old pictures of Jack Trice. It looks like freaking stands in those areas. Now, Jack Trice is, the up, the upgrades they've made to that thing are ridiculous. Like, Jack Trice, all things considered, before the upgrades, was not the greatest stadium of all time. It was not. But those upgrades made it a very, very nice place, and Iowa State, very good branding school. Like, I've always said this about Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa State knows how to brand. Iowa does not. Iowa, especially football, Iowa's very bad at branding themselves and reaching out and trying to get... Like, Iowa is not an attractive brand of football. It's the same offense for the past 24 years. Hell, you could probably say the past 100 years. Same offense. But that's what you get when you have the same coach. You get old old mindsets old mindsets die hard. I love Kirk Ferentz. I'll never say anything bad about Kirk Ferentz. Bard, on the other hand, but no, we're not going <laughs> to... Brian! No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But, man, speaking of Iowa and Iowa State and you and I, let's go over some things that we're looking forward to this season, what to expect from each school. Because, again, yeah, you and people out there, I know you out there, you ain't going to really go like, oh, I'm really die hard. I want to watch. I want to hear all the things about you and I football this year. Well, guess what? You finna hear all of it. And you know what? Might as well. We're going to start off with you and I. I might as well start off with that. So you and I this year, I'm excited. I'm excited. Now, the thing that's kind of bothered me about you and I, you can go back to the spring season as well. Their offense has been monotonous, very boring, very stale, nothing really going on. They lacked a real run game. They developed that a little bit last year. They had some good rotation pieces at running back, but passing-wise, it was kind of up and down. Will McIlvain was the quarterback before. Now it's uh, freaking Theo Day, transfer from Michigan State. Night and day difference between the quarterbacks. I'm not saying Theo is like a thousand times better than Will. I like Will. I've interviewed Will. He's been on the show before. So I've, and he's a Des Moines kid. So I always have nice things to say about Will. Like, but the difference between those two, Theo is a big guy. I bet he's about six inches taller than Will. A lot stronger arm, but he's a lot less mobile. Will is smaller. I don't want to say super small, but comparatively to what you and I has on offense, you look at the offensive line, you and I has got a bunch of tree trunks, a bunch of trees playing offensive line. Look at Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown's six foot nine, played right tackle for you and I when when Will was the starter. Spencer Penning at left tackle, six foot five, six six. Will's six foot. Now you can make that work. You saw what Oklahoma did when Kyler Murray won the Heisman, but I want to get to Kyler Murray a little bit too. There's <laughs> some more things about Kyler. But the offense. They switched to Ryan Mahaffey. He was the offensive coordinator. He took a job with the Packers right before the spring season started. So it's kind of like Sean Watson's coming in there, doesn't have a system. It was like, okay, the fall. It's going to be it. The offense in the fall is going to be awesome. And it wasn't. Very strange. Now, they had good games. Like, after the Iowa State game, Will threw two pretty bad interceptions against Iowa State. They lost by six points. Probably should have won. But you look at the game against Sacramento State, Will McIlvain at halftime against Sacramento State, has two for six with seven yards. Theo Day had more yards in his first pass attempt than Will had the entire half. 
and they came back and won 34-16. Then they blew out St. Thomas, which is that was expected. St. Thomas is not the same level. Then Youngstown State blew them out 34-7. That was a very, very fun game to watch. But then they had a couple tough games against NDSU and South Dakota. They beat South Dakota State and Southern Illinois, which were two big-time upsets, top two top seven teams in the nation at the time they played them. But then they lost to Illinois State. They had a resurgent Missouri State team. They lost to them under Bobby Petrino. And then Western Illinois. And they lost to Eastern Washington. Which Eastern Washington with Eric Barriere at quarterback, they have a very talented offense. You and I just never really got anything going in that game. I'm pretty sure Theo either got hurt or they benched him for Matt Morrissey, but I don't remember exactly what happened. But this year, according to... I Mark Farley, I, I forgot his name for a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why. But according to Mark Farley, this offense that you and I is going to be trotting out there this year is specific to you and I. It's a revolutionary offense for you and I. It's somewhat, apparently somewhat similar to what Eastern Washington runs. Which, when I hear that, I'm like, okay. Usually most offenses are geared towards the success of that offense, so I, I really don't have a lot of weight held in that. Like, oh man, I'm going to get all excited for this. I've watched it the past two years. I know it's supposedly going to be this whole new thing, but I'm not really sitting back going, oh my God, I can't wait for you and I to just blow out opponents now. Like defensively, you and I is always going to be up there. Mark Foley, defensive genius. So they, they'll always have a good defense. Offensively, up and down. Up and down, especially these past two years. But this year is weird because you and I doesn't play Iowa or Iowa State this year. They play Air Force. That's their FBS opponent they play this year. But then you look at the rest of their schedule, and I think it's a very maneuverable schedule. And I want to talk about Air Force here in a little bit. But you and I will go to North Dakota, which will be a tough game. Not North Dakota State. They'll go to North Dakota. It's a tough one. Sacramento State, rematch of last year. Then Western Illinois at Western Illinois. First time in a while they haven't finished the season with them. Then they got four straight home games against Indiana State, Illinois State, Utah Tech, which I've never heard of before, and Missouri State. Four straight games in Cedar Falls. And then you got at Southern Illinois, which is always going to be a tough one, versus South Dakota State at home, and then at South Dakota. Like, that is a maneuverable schedule. You're not taking on North Dakota State this year. That is massive. Anytime you can avoid the Bison, you you take that opportunity. Now, there are tough games on the schedule. Like we said, Southern Illinois, South Dakota State, South Dakota, Missouri State. Like the Missouri Valley is easily the toughest conference in college football for the FCS level. Like It's not even close. So there are tough games regardless if you're playing the best team or not. But it's, it is more maneuverable, especially when you got four straight home games. Yeah, you start the season with three of your first four games be on the road, but four straight home games... And then five of your last six before I get five of your last seven games will be at home with four in a row. That's that's big. That's big. Maneuverable. That's all you need. And they can beat everybody on here. They can beat everybody, but they can also lose to everybody on here. I have no doubt in that because it just depends on which offense shows up that day. But the Air Force game, I always I always find these games interesting. Always find these games interesting because you notice this like Army will take on when they took on Michigan, or no, um, was it Michigan? They took on Oklahoma. It was either Wisconsin or Michigan. I don't remember which one. But then you have, like, Navy playing Notre Dame. Like, these big-time programs playing these military school, triple options, all this kind of stuff. And I ran triple option in college. William Penn runs a triple option offense. So I'm very adept and attuned to the triple option offense. When you have these games, like my friend Brady, he played for Grandview. So I've heard about the stories of trying to scout. You cannot scout 
triple option offense. You can't. It's damn near impossible. You can scout every single offense. You can scout spread, power eye, wing T. You can scout all these offenses. You cannot run a triple option offense with the same speed and same technique that a triple option school will run. Because when you come to these schools that have spread quarterbacks, 90% of the time, I guess I shouldn't say 90, but most of the time, they're not going to be the most mobile quarterbacks out there. Be fairly immobile and probably bigger. Air Force is going to run this thing like this. You're not going to be able to cut like Air Force does. You don't know the motion. You don't know the keys. You don't know the exact movements. They're not used to reading the defensive end crashing in. Sometimes they are, but most of the time they're not used to reading the DN crash in. They're not used to reading what's next. You pitch on the linebacker, safety, or corner. You got to know exactly where the pitch keys are. Because if you don't, that throws everything off. So I'm very intrigued to see how UNI does because when you look at the games that we brought up earlier with Army and Navy playing these big-time schools, Army took Oklahoma to overtime. Like, Army and Oklahoma, realistically, should never be close games, but Army will always be tough on these teams. Now, Army sucked ass when I was growing up, but Army now and Navy to a certain extent, Navy was that team when I was growing up, now it's Army, that will beat you down. They will tire you out. They will control the possession. They'll keep your offense off the field. Fullbacks will beat you up. The cut blocks will drain you. The speed will run you out. Like, it's it's in, almost impossible to game plan for. And you and I, being an FCS school versus an FBS Air Force, that's been consistent. Unlike Navy and, Air Force, Navy and Army that have kind of been up and down, where Navy was good for a while, and then Army's now good. Navy's not very good. Army was bad. Air Force is usually around the seven, between somewhere to seven and ten wins every year. That's usually how they are. It's weird how that one works out because they're in Colorado and they're not really the most, the first military school you think of because you've got the Army-Navy game every year. The best game in college football. So that's the first game you think of. You don't think of Air Force at all because they play in the Mountain West. That's also, you can go East Coast bias and stuff like that, but that'll be a tough game to prepare for. It'll be a very, very tough game to prepare for. So you'll probably see a wide receiver play quarterback that day or that week of practice. And it's still, it's not going to be run the same speed as what Air Force is going to run it. The blocks are not going to be the same. The keys aren't going to be the same. Like, it's it's going to be tough. And that's just scouting them. Playing them's even harder. Playing them's even harder. <laughs> like, you cannot really scout that. Now, I know you're going to sit there and go, Logan, was the last time a triple option school won a national championship? It's been a very long time. But before those individual games, it's very hard to prepare. So you and I, though their defense is great, you and I is always going to have a great defense, it's still tough as hell to play those triple option schools. It will always be that way. Always has been, always will be. But you and I, I'm, I'm just excited for them. I'm really excited for them because they do have a lot of talent on offense. Whether it's Theo Day or Matt Morrissey at quarterback, they do have a lot of talent, like Logan Wolf at wideout. He's not even the first one I should have thought of, but he's the first one I scrolled to. You have Deion McShane and Quan Hampton. Burners. Now, you don't have Isaiah Weston, which is a big, big loss. Isaiah Weston was one of the best receivers in the FCS level when he was playing. Just battled a lot of injuries when he was at UNI. But Deion McShane and Quan Hampton are flyers. Flyers. And then at running back, you got Don Williams. you got Vance McShane, Sam Schnee. Is a pretty solid running back in there as well. Like, you've got some good players on offense. Some very nice players on offense. I just need to see how this new offense looks. Because it does kind of scare me to hear that. Even though it's supposed to be a good thing, it's, it is kind of like, 
huh, well, why, why, why weren't we running an offense that fit the skill set of the offense more to begin with? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. But UNI's got a good team. I think they'll run their con- I think they'll run their schedule this year. I'm not saying I shouldn't say run, but if I had to go through the schedule right now, I, I think they'll lose to Air Force I, again. I can't really say what I said earlier and then go, yeah, I think you and I will win. I think I think they could play it tough, but I don't I don't think they'll win. <laughs> so Air Force loss, zero one at North Dakota. So when was the last time they played? Did they play North Dakota last year, or was it two years ago they played North Dakota? It was two years ago, 2020, or 2021 Spring League. When, when was the last time they played North Dakota? I remember them playing. Was it 2019? Was it that long ago? Huh. I could have swore they played North Dakota at some point. When the North Dakota, that being said, North Dakota did just join the conference, like, last year. So they wouldn't play them in conference. I, I, swore, I could have swore they played them. But North Dakota, regardless, is... Is a tough team. Is a tough. They're not North Dakota State. They're not North Dakota State, and they weren't very good for a little bit before they joined the Missouri Valley Conference. But they're tough. Like I, I, I could imagine they'll give you Nebraska a run for their money week one. I could see that. Now, I, that being said, they'll probably get annihilated. But I think they could run. A, I think they could give them a run for their money. I really do. So if you look at what North Dakota State, North Dakota, did last year, they went five and six, disappointing from the season before. But they had some really close games. They had some really, really close losses. They lost by three to South Dakota State. They lost by, what, four to Missouri State. They lost by three to Southern Illinois. They lost by seven to South Dakota State. They lost by six to North Dakota State. Like, they had some close, close games. Close, close games. And the season prior went five and two. But, yeah, that that those close losses. We'll see if they're able to rebound from that. Because they're, they're a good team. They're better than a five and six record, which they had last year. They are better than that. I can promise you that. So that game against UNI is going to be tough. I will say UNI will win. I think UNI should beat Sacramento State. First game at home. They should beat Western Illinois. They should beat Indiana State. They should beat Illinois State. They should... I don't even know. What is Utah Tech? The Utah Tech Blazers. What? The helmet they use on their website. Like, if you click Utah Tech... They're the they have a helmet on the thing. It is one of the worst pictures I've ever seen. Or Trailblazer. Trailblazer. You talked to Trailblazers. It's a buffalo as the logo. It looks like kind of like the Howard logo, kind of. But the football's blurry. It's got their logo on it, but it's blurry. And the helmet they used has a like tape on the side of it, like covering up part of the logo. I d I don't know what that I don't know what that's for. I really don't understand what that's for. But what did they, what did they do last year? What did they do? They went one in ten. Okay. They <laughs> oh my goodness! They got annihilated every game. They had one one score game apart from they beat Fort Lewis, which again I've never heard of before. Every single one of their games decided by more than one score, apart from Delaware. They got blown out in every single game they played. They played a lot of ranked teams though. At the time they played them, Sacramento State was ranked. UC Davis. They finished off weird last year, but they they were four when they played them. Lost twenty seven to sixty. They played seventh seventh ranked South Dakota State, ninth ranked Montana, and those three straight games against ranked teams are were all on the road. They lost to Sam Houston, who was number one. Lost to Delaware, who's twenty five, and Missouri State, who was fourteen. So they played a lot of ranked teams, one in ten. So yeah, you and I should blow the brakes off them. Missouri State, I think they'll get revenge against them. So Illinois, 
I think they'll lose to Southern Illinois. It's in Carbondale. I think they'll lose there. I think they'll lose to South Dakota State, and I think they'll beat South Dakota. So what is that? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight and three? Is that what we're looking at for you and I, going on a nice little win streak? I think that's what they can get. I think last year their offense was a little stat, and they won six games last year. They went six and six last year, lost in the playoffs, but a lot of close games in there. I think they can come in and win eight games. With North Dakota State off the schedule, with the new and improved offense, hopefully, yes, not having Trevor Penning there on the left side is going to be big, but they still have a solid team around them on offense. Defense, again, we're going to be fine, though. They lost Omar Brown to Nebraska, which sucks. Because Omar Brown's a dog. Omar Brown's a beast. He's going to ball out for Nebraska this year. I have no doubt in my mind about that. He's the best corner in the FCS level when he played for you and I. But yeah, 8-3. and three. And then go to the playoffs. I think they can win their first round playoff game, and then they'll probably lose in the second round. That's what my gut says. But yeah, tough games against like South Dakota State and Southern Illinois, but lose only one game at home, defend your turf. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be fine. I'm really excited to see this offense, though, though I am nervous about it as well. Now we got the big school out of the way. Let's go to the smaller schools, Iowa and Iowa State. So Iowa State this year, all new team, all new team. I don't remember how many starters they – hold on. How many starters are they ever turning? Iowa State has five offensive starters returning and three defensive starters. They lost Mike Rose. They lost Brees Hall. They lost Brock Purdy. They lost Charlie Kohler. They lost Chase Allen. They lost a lot of pieces on this team. The more notable ones on offense, even though they're bringing back a decent amount of players on offense. But you have this time now. You got Hunter Deckers. I believe he's the highest-rated quarterback in Iowa State history for coming out of high school. I believe. I could be wrong about that. But it's different. He's a totally different style quarterback to Brock Purdy. Yes, they're both they're both mobile, yes. But Deckers is bigger. Deckers got a stronger arm. Deckers left-handed. And where Purdy would probably try to run out of bounds or make a move and try to make a guy miss, Decker, I'm not saying he do this, does this all the time. But he 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 could run someone over given time. Like dude is built like a freaking fullback. Dude is six foot three, two hundred thirty five pounds. He a big dude. I I like the left handed quarterbacks. They're a dying breed. They're a dying breed. Like since Kellen Moore in the NFL, the la- the next left handed quarterback was <laughs> Tua. There was a break in there. There's no left handed quarterbacks even in the NFL. And two of my favorite quarterbacks of all time, Steve Young and jo- uh, Michael Vick, two left handed quarterbacks. Kellen Moore is my favorite college quarterback of all time. Left handed. So I would think for left-handed quarterback, my, my dad's left-handed, didn't play quarterback, but he's left-handed. Throws left-handed anyways. He's kind of weird. He alternates different styles. I don't I don't really understand people that can... I'm ambidextrous in my feet. I forced myself to do that playing soccer, but like <laughs> I can't do anything with my left hand. Left hand is borderline useless. It's important, though, when you're throwing the football because you got to torque and all that stuff, but it's, it's next to useless. But he does have good peace around him. It's his first year starting. It will it'll have its ups and downs. You can imagine, I mean, first-year starter. No, it's very rare when someone comes in right away, replaces the greatest quarterback at the university, and balls out right away. It's very rare for that. Now, he has an easy enough game to start the season against Southeast Missouri State. I think it's a nice game to ease in. And when you have a quarterback that's making his first ever starts, there are two things that are important here. Two very important things. A run game. You need a running game. And Iowa State's got two pretty good running backs. Pretty solid running. Cardavius, what is it? Cardavius Norton. And Jareel Brock, yes, it's not Brees Hall. Yes, Brees Hall, depending on who you ask, like we talked about this, uh, when was this, a couple weeks ago? 
about who's the greatest running back in Iowa State history between Troy Davis and Brees Hall. I know Troy Davis ran for 2,000 yards back-to-back season on a way worse team. I think Brees Hall is a more complete running back than what uh, Troy Davis is or was because he's not playing now. But I don't know. I think that's a conversation to be had. I'm not an Iowa State fan. I didn't watch Troy Davis, so I can't really tell you who's better or who's worse. But I know a lot of Iowa State fans are very upset that he did not win a Heisman. I think Danny Warfel beat him out for the Heisman. I think. I think that's who it was. But yeah, a run game's very important. Jairo Brock and Cartavius Norton don't have a lot of running yards behind them. Jairo Brock had 174 yards last year rushing. Cartavius Norton wasn't even on the team. So, or didn't register a run anyways. 37 carries, 174 yards. But when you have a running back like Brees Hall and a quarterback that can run like Brock Purdy, I'm not saying Brock Purdy's a burner or anything, but Brock Purdy was no statue standing back there in the pocket. He could run, and I don't think they ran him as much as what they probably could have during his time at Iowa State. I think Matt Campbell didn't want to get hurt. And you could see that a lot in the early portion of the season. And Matt Campbell, that's one thing I'm nervous about. Yes, Southeast Missouri State should not be one of the tougher opponents for Iowa State, but Matt Campbell has a thing where he doesn't like to open up the year with showing a whole lot. Rightly or wrongly, but you have games against you and I where they were favored by 30 and a half points last year against you and I, won by six, scored 16 points. And you and I threw two bad interceptions. So it could have been <laughs> in the air if you Will did not throw those two interceptions. But they never do that. I don't know why. And in the early portions of the seasons, Brock never ran. It's like, you know it's going to be implemented in their offense, but they never ran him. But, like, you look at, like, the touchdowns. Iowa State as a team last year, 25 rushing touchdowns. 20 of them are from Brees Hall. <laughs> and Brees Hall, you look at the top three receivers, the top four receivers from last year. Hutchinson, Kohler, Hall, and Chase Allen, three of those four are gone. Xavier Hutchinson was going to transfer, but he's back, and he's a baller. Xavier Hutchinson's a baller. He led the team with 987 yards receiving, had five touchdowns there as well. Second on the team in touchdowns behind Charlie Cole receiving-wise. But the other thing that, besides running game, now that we're on the topic of receivers, is a reliable short yardage guy like a tight end. You need a pass-catching tight end. You don't need it, but it definitely helps. You need a nice safety net in there. And they don't have Kohler or Chase Allen. They have Easton Dean, who's lined up to be the starter this year. And Easton Dean registered one catch for 18 yards last year. So we don't really know what he's going to provide here. And I don't know Easton Dean all too well. I don't know what he's going to provide there. But I know not having Charlie Kohler or Chase Allen is going to be big. I know it's going to be big. Now, Iowa State's got a solid offensive line, so that also helps out a little bit. And you have Hutchinson. So you have at least one reliable guy there. But we'll see. We'll see. The tight end's big. The tight end might not seem like the biggest guy out there. But it's, it is pretty big. Run game and tight ends, pass-catching tight ends, are pretty big for young quarterbacks. But again, it's the highest-rated quarterback in Iowa State history. At least that's why I'm led to believe. I could be wrong about that. So I'm exci- I am excited, though. I'm exci- I am excited. On defense, you got the dude. One of the best edge rushers in college football, Will McDonald. Will McDonald, it kind of throws me off a little bit. Like, I look at Will McDonald... Like every time I think of Will McDonald, it's always this big dude. Will McDonald's not very big in comparison to other defensive linemen in college football. He's six foot four, two hundred forty five pounds. Like he's a foot tall, or an inch taller, and ten pounds heavier than the quarterback. And it's one of the top edge rushers in all of college football. Like Will McDonald had eleven and a half sacks last year, and I believe I could. I saw this on Twitter. I need to make sure Will Donald, Will McDonald. I want to do a Will McDonald had a farm joke, but I'm not going to because I'm mature and don't make stupid jokes like that. 
He is like four sacks away from breaking the all-time Big 12 sack record held by Von Miller. He's already the single-season sack leader in the school history, so I, I don't think he has that problem. But I think I saw he's four or four-and-a-half sacks from breaking the all-time Big 12 sack record. I think that's what I saw. And regardless, Will McDonald's a beast anyways. Will McDonald, I think, I'm not saying he will. I don't have him in the first round right now, but I think he could break Iowa State's, or has a chance at least, to break Iowa State's long-standing drought of not having a guy draft in the first round. I think it's been 50 years since they have had a guy draft in the first round. I thought Brees Hall would do it last year. didn't do it. I think Will McDonald's a real shot at that because the three most important positions on a football field, you want to know what they are? Quarterback, left tackle, edge rusher. Those are the most important positions on the football field. Now, you can have, you can, like, people have their opinions about it. Quarterback trumps all because you need to know everything that the offense is doing plus being able to recognize what the defense is doing. Left tackle because, you know, or right tackle, whatever your quarterback's blind, blind side tackle. That's the next thing. And then edge rusher because you need to get after the quarterback. You need to apply pressure. Regardless if you're actually getting to the quarterback, you need to be able to apply pressure. Make quarterbacks think, make quarterbacks nervous. Again, like the Patriots have been key, have been huge in that throughout their history since Bill Belichick's been there. They don't always lead the league in sacks or have a guy that's registering 18 and a half sacks or something like that, but they're always up there in quarterback pressures. Always up there in quarterback pressures. So that's but having someone like Will McDonald, who is fast, who will probably move to a four three a three four outside linebacker the next level. I would I kind of find it hard to believe he'd be a six foot four, two hundred forty five pound D end at the next level in a four three defense. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Joey Bosa was two hundred seventy pounds on the Chargers draft and he played a three four D end. I didn't think that would happen, and it did. Now he's playing more outside linebacker. But Will McDonald's nice. Will McDonald is is a uh, is very very nice. But in regards to the rest of Iowa State's defense, it's a lot of inexperienced players. Again, they have three stars returning. Like, losing a guy like Mike Rose, big. Every time you lose a guy like Mike Rose is always big. Uh, they also lost Jake Hummel, Greg Eisworth. I know a lot of Iowa State fans, at least from the ones I've talked to, have kind of mixed feelings about Eisworth, or Eesworth, however the hell you want to pronounce it. Greg Eisworth second. I know there was a lot of mixed feelings around him. But yeah, I don't really think Iowa State is going to be... I don't think they're going to have a massive drop-off this year. I don't think that... I don't know, because the Big 12 this year, Oklahoma's not really seen as that big, the target on Oklahoma's back this year. You don't really have that. Lincoln Riley's gone. Caleb Williams is gone. And in comes Brent Venables from Clemson, defensive guy. And freaking Dylan Gabriel from UCF. And Dylan Gabriel's a good quarterback. So we have two left-handed quarterbacks that I can think of off the top of my head in the, in the Big 12. Dylan Gabriel, left-handed quarterback. Really solid at UCF. Really solid quarterback. So I don't... I don't think Oklahoma will lose its grip on the Big 12 just yet. I don't think they'll be as good as what they were. I think Oklahoma will probably win like 10 games this year. I think I could be wrong. I could be very, very wrong, but I think we're almost guaranteed not to have a Big 12 team in the college football playoff just because I don't think Oklahoma is that this year. And that's usually their only shot at that. But you look at Iowa State's schedule against Southeast Missouri State, that should be a win. Should be a win. It'll be topsy-turvy, but it should be a win. Iowa, they haven't beaten Iowa in, what, six years? Because so I think the big thing was you added an extra hand to the, the Matt Campbell losing streak to Iowa. And now it's back at Kinnick. First time in Kinnick in like four years. So I think Iowa should be able to hold their own against Iowa State. Iowa's returning a lot more people. I know their offense is cancer to watch. But we'll talk about Iowa here in a little bit. I think they'll lose to Iowa. I think they'll beat Ohio. Baylor will be tough. They lost Jer Jerry Bohannon's gone. 
Jerry Bohannon transferred to South Florida, which is a, a really weird move. But they had Blake Schapp in there, played a little bit for Baylor last year, had five touchdowns, no picks. It's at home. What did they do last year against Baylor? What did they do last year? Baylor won by two points. They lost to Iowa State the season before by seven. Beat them by two. Beat them by four. I think Iowa State's got it. I think being at home is big. I know Dave Arama or Dame Andrade. How do you say his name? Dave, Dave, Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda has a nice little culture building there in Baylor. But I think Iowa State will take it there. They'll beat Kansas. Kansas State, they brought in Adrian Martinez. And last year, Iowa State had a very nice, if I remember correctly, because I watched it at freaking uh, <laughs> um, Smash Park. Yeah, Iowa State had a nice game against Kansas State last year. I'm trying to remember all the schedules that they had last year. At home, again, Jack Trice is a very tough place to play, so I'm going to take I'm going to take Iowa State. I think they'll lose to Texas. I think they'll lose to Oklahoma. West Virginia, that's always a weird game. It's kind of like their their north their version of Northwestern. Their version, like Iowa's Northwestern, very very weird. They blew out they blew out West Virginia a few years ago. Lost them last year. It's at home. I think they'll beat Northwestern, and then I think they'll lose to Oklahoma State. Um. Actually, I take that back. I think they'll lose to Baylor. Lose to Oklahoma State. Beat Tech. TCU. I think they'll beat TCU. So what? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So seven and five. I think they can I think Baylor would be a toss-up. So I, I I'm gonna go like eight and four to seven and five. That's my prediction for Iowa State. They went seven and six last year, but the teams around them got worse. Safe to say. I think Texas is the only one that you could say honestly improved from last year because you couldn't be much worse than what Texas was last year. So you got to have to be improvement. I think Texas got a good young offense. Xavier Worthy, Quinn Ewers coming in, Bijan Robinson. Texas got a nice team. Let's just see if they can actually put it all together. It feels weird to say this, but Texas might be dark horses for Big 12. Steve Sarkees in his second year. I don't know. I might be drinking the Kool Aid a little bit, but I do like the talent they have on their roster. I do like the talent, regardless if it actually materializes anything. I do like the talent they have. It's at Texas, so that's going to be a tough one. I hey, I shouldn't say that because Kansas beat Texas there last year. So who the hell knows with Texas, but I think talent-wise, I think they should be a lot better than what they were last year. A lot better. Quinn Ewers, if he's as good as any, anywhere near as good as what we were told to believe when he just got out of high school, he's the highest-rated high school quarterback of all time. Playing for his favorite school growing up, which makes it weird that he didn't go to Texas from the start. Went to Ohio State, transferred there early, didn't play. Wow, I can't believe he didn't play. It's not like they had another really good young quarterback there. Texas had Hudson Card and Casey Thompson. Like it, you could beat them out. He beat out Hudson Card this year. Hope what it seems, anyways. I guess they haven't. I don't know if they've named a starter yet, but you, one would expect him to beat out Hudson Card, who's not a terrible quarterback, but it's just not. He should have no problem beating out. And then finally. The Hawkeyes, one of the most unwatchable offenses in college football, one would say. Like, I think, I could be wrong about this, until they scored against Kentucky, I think they went like four or five games in a row without scoring an offensive touchdown. Like, it was it was a while without scoring an offensive touchdown. Like, the only reason Iowa was anywhere where they were last year, where they got the highest number two in the nation, somehow, was Spencer... I never thought I would see a team with the quarterback like Spencer Petras be the number two team in college football. They were the number two team in the nation, not because they necessarily deserved it, but because things fell into place. And that's how things work out. Then they lost their next week to, Bay- the, to Purdue. 
got annihilated. David Bell had his way with Iowa on that day. But Riley Moss is back. The secondary is going to be good. Kayvon Merriweather, Xavier Nwampu, they got from Southeast Polk this year. Jay, Justin Jacobs, Jack Campbell, the lead, one of the leading sack tacklers from the season prior in the nation. John Wagner, Joe Evans, like they've got a nice defense still. As long as Phil Parker's there, Iowa's defense will be what it is. And as long as Brian Ferentz is there, Iowa's offense will be what it is. <laughs> That's the sad thing. Like, Iowa, this has been my gripe with Iowa my entire life. The entire time I've been an Iowa Hawkeye football fan, the one thing that's always pissed me off is the the insane loyalty to the starting quarterback. The insane loyalty. I watched Jake Christensen play 12 games, one of the worst seasons I've ever watched. I watched Jake Van, James Vandenberg take every single snap a year. Iowa went, what, what was that, 4-8. and eight. Every single snap, 4-8. and eight. Those are two of the worst seasons I've ever watched in Iowa football. The 6-6 six and six year with Jake Christensen when they lost to Western Michigan on senior day and the 4-8 and eight team. And the thing that stayed consistent with all of that was that the starting quarterback that played game one did not get benched at all. No one threw a pass when Jane Vandenberg and Iowa went 4-8. and eight. Not another quarterback. So the next year, it was between Cody Sokol, C.J. Beathard, and Jake Rudock for the starting job, and no one knew who it was because they never said who the backup was. It was always James Vandenberg, Jake Rudock, or Beathard, or Sokol. And it ended up being Jake Rudock, and then Jake Rudock played the entire year. And then the next year, the bowl game, you saw C.J. Beathard get implemented. You saw C.J. play more, and then everybody was like, C.J., C.J. Like, I think C.J. Beathard really is the only quarterback to go through Iowa. And that's the other thing. Iowa fans hate the starting quarterback. Hate him. I watched Drew Tate get booed at Iowa. I watched Ricky Stanzi get booed at Iowa. And you want to know who the people were cheering for them to get benched for? Jake Christensen and James Vandenberg. I'll leave that at that. Iowa fans are an insanely fickle group of fans. And I know this because I've been to Kinnick Stadium a lot of times in my lifetime. I grew up around Iowa fans. I am an Iowa fan. I know this. So this is speaking from the inside insider knowledge right here. Like if you had a quarterback as good as Drew Tate or as good as Ricky Stanzi, and your backup was Jake Christensen or James Vandenberg, you should never... Like, James Vandenberg against Ohio State. Iowa, the year they went to the Orange Bowl and beat Georgia Tech. Iowa lost to Northwestern. Ricky Stanzi snapped his ankle, went to go... They lost 17-10 against Northwestern, went to go play Ohio State in the horseshoe. Battle for the Big Ted title, pretty much. Ohio State won in however many overtimes. James Vandenberg played. And everyone's like, oh, James Vandenberg played very, very well. Do you want to know how many interceptions James Vandenberg threw in that game? Let's just, let's just take a trip down memory lane. Let's go back to 2009. They lost in overtime. James Vandenberg threw for 255 yards, or 233 yards. Three interceptions. He had three interceptions in the game. And that was the performance that was going to bench Ricky Stanzi when he got back. One of the greatest quarterbacks in Iowa Hawkeye history, it was going to get benched for a guy that threw three interceptions in the horseshoe. You think if he didn't throw three interceptions, they would have beaten Ohio State that game? Yeah, I, w- I would think so. I would think so. Like, if Stanzi never got hurt... I think Iowa goes on. I'm not saying they'd win a natty or anything, but they would be better than what they finished out being. I think they beat Ohio State. Like, dude, through three interceptions, they still lost in overtime. I think they beat Ohio State. I think if he doesn't get hurt against Northwestern, they beat Northwestern. Like, they tied it up. Brandon Wager scored a rushing touchdown, and Raphael Eubanks got called for holding, and they couldn't move the ball further past that point. So, lost 17-10. Ugh. But the loyalty, the starting quarterback, rightly or wrongly, and it's paid off sometimes because if you listen to the fans, you'll be up with the fans. I understand that. 
But there's also a time point in time where you have to look at the quarterback and go, wow, he stinks. Or if the other quarterback behind him also stinks, you should probably look at the offensive coordinator, not give him a freaking pay raise, which is what Brian Ferentz got this offseason. I'm not saying Petra or Alex Padilla is the answer. I'm not saying that he's a thousand times better than Petrus, but just something different. That's all anybody asks. Like, even when Jake Christensen had the season as bad as he did, the next year, him and Stanzi rotated the first three or four games of the season. Like, it wasn't Stanzi's job right away. They still were, like, holding on to the lifeline that Jake Christensen's the starting quarterback. And I remember watching that season and watching Petrus play reminds me so much of watching Jake Christensen. So much. Like, thankfully, throughout my lifetime, I've been blessed with pretty good college quarterbacks at the University of Iowa. Petrus is not one of them. He looks scared. And the thing is, when you play scared in football, you're going to get hurt and you're going to make mistakes. And that's what happens. He plays with happy feet, and it's rough to watch. Like, Spencer Petrus last year threw 10 touchdowns and 9 picks. 10 touchdowns and 9 picks. So one would expect, in his third year as the starter to finally look like a competent college quarterback. Well, that would be the, the the logical progression, right? You would expect that. So I'm expecting that as well. And Iowa does have weapons. Now, Iowa had much better weapons a couple seasons ago. Tyrone Tracy, Brandon Smith, Amir Smith-Marset. You had off, you had insane weapons. Like, I remember watching the Iowa-Indiana game last year. I was at that game. I remember talking to Noah, who I was there with. I was like, if I'm Tyrone Tracy, I'm bitch-slapping Petrus when we get back to the locker room. There are so many times Tyron Tracy was wide open, Petrus overthrew or underthrew him. It was insanely frustrating. Yeah, Petrus might have the strongest arm in the country. It might be the most inaccurate strong arm in the country. And yet the thing that sucks, he has no other thing to do. So when you're like, oh, he's inaccurate, but he can't run. So you can't even go, well, he does this well. He doesn't do anything well. And to this point, I'm not saying it's subject, it can't be subject to change, but this offense is brutal to watch. Brutal. Now, again, minus the quarterback, the offense does have good weapons. Gavin Williams at running back. Southeast Polk slash Dowling running back. You got Nico Regani. You've got Keegan Johnson, who's supposed to take that big step this year. He sowed flashes last year for Iowa. You got Sam Laporta, who's a top three tight end in college football. Iowa's offensive line cannot be much worse than what it was last year. Like I've I brought this up when they played Michigan. When you look at what Michigan did on defense, and you look at what Iowa was doing on offense, and you're Brian Ferentz, okay? Office coordinator for one of the biggest programs in college football. I'm not saying they compared to like Alabama and Clemson and all those teams, Notre Dame and all those guys, but they're still a mass they're still a big time program, regardless of what you think about it. You're watching that game or pre-gaming that. You watch what Michigan does best. You watch what they just did against Ohio State, who had two possible draftees at tackle. Tanked Nicholas Petit Ferrer's draft stock. I don't even remember what round he went. He might have went in fifth round. He's a protected first round draft pick. Went in like the fourth, fifth round because Hutchinson and Ojabo tore him a new asshole. You watch that game. When you're game planning, you have to see that your off the line is not going to hold up against their pass rush with the offense you run. Iowa can run shotgun. What Iowa needs to do or needed to do that they just could not figure out for some reason. Shotgun, hitch routes, slant routes, short routes, run the ball. Keep the ball in the middle of the field running the ball. Do not let those two, Ajabo and Hutchinson, dictate the game. You know what happened? They dictated the game. And when you have those deep dropbacks, you know what's going to happen with Petrus? 
if he has those deep jobs, it's time to throw, and he sees a deep ball, overthrown. You know who Michigan had in the center field? Daxton Hill, who was the best center fielder in college football last year. Best coverage safety in college football last year. There's nothing Iowa... There, logically, you have to... I'm not, again, I'm not saying I'm the greatest offensive mind of all time. I'm not saying that. But if I can figure that out, you would think a guy who's making millions of dollars to call offensive plays can figure out, hey, we should probably take the strength of Michigan and not use it to their advantage. We should probably do that. Probably not do that. Or off the tackles can't hold for shit. Or our quarterback cannot run. Or our quarterback's going to overthrow receivers. Well, you know what? We're not going to change our game plan at all. Why? And Iowa, unsurprisingly, got ass-slapped by Michigan. The most unsurprising game of that weekend. Iowa got beat by double digits. They were favored to lose by, like, 12. And everybody's like, oh, take the over. Oh, take the over for that game. There's the, I, I would love to find one Iowa fan. The most deluded of Iowa fans. There's deluded fans in every single team. I'm well aware of that. This is not calling out Iowa fans. Every single fandom has stupid fans. There's not one Iowa fan that actually thought they were going to beat Michigan. There's not one. If there was one, I need to slap them. Because you knew Iowa wasn't going to change their game plan. You knew Michigan was going to feast on Iowa's offense. And Michigan's offense is nothing special. Like, comparatively, Iowa's offense and Michigan's offense were nothing special. Not anything that really separates them. Really? And yet, Iowa's Iowa's offense looked a thousand times worse. And Iowa's defense is not far off from Michigan's. In some aspects, they were better than Michigan. You wouldn't know that. Because Michigan won what? What was the final score? 42 to 3. 42 to 3. The Big Ten title game. Your offense looks like it's out of a third grade playbook because you can't figure out, oh, Michigan's edge rushers are very good and they got a really good coverage safety. Oh, we should probably not do five step drops and wholly throw deep balls. It just doesn't work. In Iowa this year, the thing is, with Iowa, they're anything if they're not consistent. You look at the past however many years for Iowa since the 4-8 and eight year, apart from the 12-2 and two year in 2015, 10-4, 6-2, 10-3, 9-4, 8-5, 8-5, 12-2, 7-6, 8-5, 4-8. Eight. Always around eight wins. Seven, eight wins. That is Iowa football to a T. So I would be stupid to think that they would not do that this year, regardless of how bad their offense is. You look at the schedule, South Dakota State, I do think will give them a run for their money. I do think they'll give them a run for their money. South Dakota State's got a solid offense with a good running game. Isaiah Davis is a nice, nice running back for South Dakota State. they got good quarterback rotation there. I think Gronowski's the starting quarterback there. I think he's still the quarterback. I could be wrong. Let me hold hold on. Let me go back to my UNI page. Ah, crap, I lost it. Whatever. I'm pretty sure Gronowski's the starting quarterback. I think they'll beat Iowa State. Just because that seems... I know there's a whole thing about Iowa State needs to eventually beat Iowa. I don't know when that happens. I don't think it'll be this year, the first year back at Kinnick in however many years. I think they beat Nevada. Nevada lost all their offensive weapons for the season four. Carson Strong, Romeo Doves, Cole Turner, all those guys are gone. So I don't think Iowa should have real issues against Nevada. Rutgers should not have problems with. I know Greg is trying to turn that program around, but really should not have any problems with Rutgers. Michigan will lose to. Actually, the time's not decided yet. And Michigan doesn't have a jabo. Doesn't have Daxton Hill. Doesn't have Hutchinson. They don't know who their starting quarterback is. I don't know if it's J.J. McCarthy or Cade McNamara yet. It was Cade McNamara last year. They do have Blake Corum, who's a very nice running back. Eric All, talented tight end. 
I'm not even going to try it. Their center, very talented. I can't say his name. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to butcher it. I'm not going to sit there and say it a bunch of times. Ryan Hayes, decent tackle. Look on defense. Nothing that says scary, scary like you had last year. Like you look at their leading tacklers last year. The top three are gone. Junior Colson, who's a linebacker, is coming back. He had 61 tackles last year. Like they lost, they lost some peace on defense. They have four stars returning on defense. Their defense is not as scary as what it was. Their quarterback situation is up in the air. Running game's good. Tight end's good. O line's pretty good. But yeah, I if that game's at night, I'm taking Iowa. If that game's at night, I'm taking Iowa. But if it's not, if it's an, I I don't know. It's gonna be tough. That one's a toss up. It's kind of like the Baylor Iowa State game. Illinois they'll win. Ohio State they'll get slaughtered. I don't think there's a chance in hell they beat Ohio State. Last time they played Ohio State, they beat them however many points to a little <laughs> in Kinnick. Ohio State having that ain't having that happen again. They haven't lost a Big Ten regular season game. Ryan Day never lost a Big Ten regular season game until he lost to Michigan. And that's however how many years he's been the head coach at Ohio State. Five, this is going to be his fifth year. He never lost one regular season Big Ten game. He ain't doing that to Iowa. He ain't losing to Iowa. You know, he lost to Michigan last year, but uh, yeah, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Travion Henderson. Yeah, I don't think they'll have any problems against Iowa. Northwestern, probably lose too because <laughs> that's just how it works. That's just how it works. They'll probably lose to Northwestern. I don't even know how good Northwestern's supposed to be. They have probably have another, they have another transfer in. I don't remember who their quarterback is. Where's Northwestern at? I'm trying to find them here. Ryan Helsinki, I think he's the South Carolina quarterback. He was there last year, but I think he was the South Carolina quarterback before. Yeah, uh, it's Northwestern. Iowa last year, they beat him by five points in Evansville. Or Evanston, Evanston, sorry. We'll come back. That's an up-in-the-air one, which is weird. You think Iowa, <laughs> Northwestern and Michigan are both up-the-air games for Iowa. I think they'll lose to Purdue. They keep losing. They've lost to Purdue the past two years. With Aiden O'Connell there, I know they don't have David Bell, but they took Tyrone Tracy there. I'm going to take Purdue. I'm going to take Wisconsin. Minnesota, they should beat Minnesota. They should beat Nebraska. So 9-3, uh, and three, I think is what Iowa could finish, 8-4. and four. So we just got a bunch of 8-4, and 8-3 teams in the state of Iowa this year. I think Iowa State, 7-5 and five to 8-4. and four. I think Iowa... Eight and four to nine and three because that Michigan game's up in the air. But a seven and five to nine and three. I think that's where Iowa's range is. And I think you and I seven and five to seven and four to eight and three. I think that's their range as well. So everybody in the state of Iowa just got the same range this year, at least according to me. I could be completely wrong about that, but that's that's how we're seeing it. That's how we're seeing it. And if we're looking at the grand scheme of college football, the grand scheme of college football. I want to do this real quick. I was gonna talk about the NFL, but I don't I don't really see the point of talking about the NFL because we're we're over an hour at this point, and it's just been dedicated to college football. So might as well keep that on the same thing. So this is a tier list. College football power five tier list maker. We got college football playoff contenders, conference contenders, divisional contenders, above average, average, bottom of the conference. So let's just get the bottom of the conference teams out of the way. For each individual conference, the SEC, we already know it's Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt finna be the bottom of the conference every single year for existence. That's just how it is going to be. I don't make the rules. I do not. I do not make the rules at all. But they are going to be the bottom feeders as they tend to be forever. Now, for the Big Ten, it's a toss-up. But I think you're going to have to still... Because Illinois got Tommy DeVito in. Tony Tommy DeVito from Syracuse. Coming in at quarterback. The Bielema train. They're building on it. 
Uh, let's just do joint Rutgers and Illinois. I don't. I don't think there's a big <laughs> there's a big big difference between the two schools. They're both very bad. I would I would probably have to guess that Illinois is going to be worse, but I don't know. I really don't know. You look at the ACC, the ACC. Um, this team is a kind of weird team to predict because they can be tough. They can make tough games. They can. And Garrett Schrader is a decent moving quarterback. He's going to move for Syracuse. Then you've also got the likes of Duke. So we're going to put Duke at the bottom. And Syracuse is going to be at the bottom as well. It doesn't It doesn't matter. Those two two, two teams are going to be at the bottom. I don't care. I, I don't really have any vent, personal vendetta against each team, but they're just they're just not good. They're just not good. Can't, Big 12, okay, we all know it's Kansas. We all know it's Kansas. There's no real congr- – oh, man, you thought Kansas would finish last place in the conference? Wow, you went out there. That's crazy. Now, for the Pac-12, who do I think for the Pac-12? If I had to look around the Pac-12, who do I think? Who are we thinking that's going to be the worst team in the Pac-12? Because you got teams in the Pac-12, like Washington State, that exists. You've got Arizona. Oh, no, it's Arizona. What the hell am I talking about? It's Arizona. <laughs> I forgot Arizona existed. It's going to be Arizona. Now, conference content- uh, CFP contenders. This is also an easy one. Okay, would I shock you? Okay, hold your breath here. It's going to be a crazy one. Freaking crazy. Alabama is going to be a cultural playoff contender. They are. I, I know. I'm as amazed as you are. Same thing goes for Ohio State. They'll be up there as well. Okay, so we got two teams that I'm damn near about to guarantee their place to college football playoff. Georgia, they'll be a college football playoff contender. They lost some peace on defense, but it's Georgia that got five stars on five stars waiting in the wings. So I really have no issues <laughs> saying that they're going to be up there. I think those are as far as you can get for teams that I'm pretty confident in saying but teams, so for the conference contenders, we're going to put like, I think USC, I don't know, USC might take a year to get to their level that they're waiting for, but they have a lot of really good players. They have a lot of very talented players. Oklahoma, a conference contender, and they're, they're always going to be up there for the college football playoff as well. What other teams do I consider real conference contenders? Michigan? I think you had to put them in the conference contender category. I think you have to. What other teams? Utah. Utah probably will win the Pac-12. It's Utah and USC. They're, they, it's, the Pac-12 is theirs. The Pac-12 is theirs. Anybody else am I really looking at and going, they could be a conference contender? Clemson, I think we had to put them back up there. I refuse to believe they'll be as bad as what they were last year. Any teams else from the ACC? Not really. Pitt, I don't think Pitt will be as good as what they were last year. Lost Jordan Addison. The Keaton Slovis is in. If Keaton Slovis is healthy, I think they have a chance. But I'm not really sure. I like some of the quarterbacks in the ACC. Like Brendan Armstrong plays for Virginia. You've got Malik Cunningham for Louisville. Like you got some decent quarterbacks there. Jordan Travis for Florida State I think could be better than what he was last year. But I think that's just me and Florida State in general. Conference contenders. Do I put Wisconsin in the conference contenders? No, I don't think they'll beat Ohio State. I think same. they'll go in the divisional contenders. We'll go for Iowa in there as well. They'll be in the divisional. I will put Kentucky. I think Kentucky's a decent team. Arkansas, I think you could put up there for. Oh, uh, wait, not divisional. Sorry, you got to go by each conference. If we're talking about conferences, like who's in Arkansas side? Of, who is in Arkansas and LSU or Kentucky side of the AC, the SEC? They're in different sides. We got Georgia and Auburn, Alabama. <clears throat> yeah, uh, no, nah. <laughs> they'll be in the above average. I think they're good teams. I think they would beat Iowa and Wisconsin, but for their conference, you got to be remembered, the individual conferences is different. 
I think they're good teams. I like their quarterback. I like all three of these schools. I got Tennessee in there as well. I like all their quarterbacks. They all got individual pieces that I like. But they got problems because they played in the same conference as Alabama and freaking Georgia. So you're going to have issues. Same thing goes for A&M. Solid team. But, hey, <laughs> you play in the same conference. Conference matters here. Auburn, uh, average. I don't think Auburn's anything that special. Uh, same thing goes for Mississippi State. I like their quarterback. I do like Will Rogers. I do. Ole Miss, I think, falls in that category as well. Jackson Dart's in there. They got Zach Evans coming in at running back. I'm intrigued to see how Jackson Dart does. He had flashes at USC, but I think working under Lane Kiffin will be very good for him. So I think they'll be around the average mark. Texas, I'll put them in um, the divisional contenders thing. I think Baylor goes up there as well for divisional contenders. I think you could probably throw Iowa. I'll put Iowa State above average. I'm not sure. I I, I'll hold, I, I had them going 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, so maybe that would put be divisional contenders. Maybe that's what we're looking at. LSU, where do we put LSU? They were bad last year. They were bad, and they let, I don't think they got any better. They brought in Jane Daniels at, run, at quarterback from Arizona State. I think they'll be near the bottom of the conference. Like if you look, they lost Eli Ricks as well. He transferred to Alabama. You look at what they've got. They got Kayshawn Butte at wide receiver. He's their really only talented player. Allie Gay at D end. Jacqueline Roy at D tackle. BJ Ojolari. So you got decent players. You know what? We'll put them in average. I think they're because I look at their roster. They do have some decent players on it. They do have some decent players on it. So, yeah, I think I'm going to stick them in average, low end of average. Georgia Tech will be at the bottom of the conference in the ACC. Uh, Wake Forest will be in divisional contenders. They got a good roster. Still with NC State, good quarterbacks, good solid rosters there as well. I think Florida will be up there with divisional contenders as well. I think I like Anthony Richardson a lot. I like Anthony Richardson a lot. I really like Anthony Richardson. I think his talent is – he is probably – Skill-wise, I think he's the most talented quarterback in college football. Uh, one of them. Top three talented quarterbacks. Oregon State will be in the bottom of the conference for the Pac-12. Arizona State, average. They got Emory Jones in at quarterback to replace Jaden Daniels. We'll see how that one goes. I think same thing goes for Stanford. Northwestern, they're average. They're always average. Kansas State, average. Louisville, above average. I like Louisville. Again, we brought up Malik Cunningham before. I think he... If we're talking about dark horse Heisman candidates, I think Malik, Willie, Malik Cunningham... With his mixing of passing and running, like he ran for like I think eighteen hundred yards last year, at least that's what it felt like. He might, it probably didn't, but it felt like eighteen hundred yards. So I'm gonna put them at above average. I like what they can do. Maryland average. Penn State will put them in divisional contenders. Then what? Michigan State. I think they'll go above average. I don't think they'll be as good as what they were last year. They lost Kenneth Walker, who's their entire team. Their defense still isn't very good, and Peyton Thorns their quarterback. So I, I would put them above average. I don't think they're gonna be back to what they were last year. Missouri, they'll be at the bottom of the conference again. Miami, I think Miami will be above average. I think my, yeah, Miami's above. I think they could be in the divisional contenders thing too. I like what they have there. I like what Miami has there. Cristobal's coming in. They got the they got Tyler Van Dyke there at quarterback. They'll always have a chance with him playing there. They got Nel, Zion Nelson at uh, tackle. They got Will Mallory at white at tight end. They've got pieces. They got pieces. UCLA, I think above average. North Carolina, above average. Ah. Uh, no, put them in average. Florida State, average. Minnesota, average. Nebraska, average. Oregon, I think Oregon is in the the conference contenders category. I think Oregon will always be up there. Uh, yeah, I'll keep them in conference category. 
Notre Dame's on anything, so I don't know where the hell to put them. I'll put them above average, I guess, if I have to throw them somewhere. Purdue above average? Where do I want to put Purdue? I don't know. Are they average? Are they above average? <laughs> put them at average, I guess. Colorado will be at the bottom of the Pac-12 again. Cal, they're average. Uh, South Carolina, average. Boston College, I like them, but average. Indiana, bottom. They're going to be near the bottom. Washington State, uh, average. Cameron Ward came in from Incarnate Word. I like Cameron Ward a lot, so I'm excited to see what he does at Washington State. West Virginia, average. J- I don't like JT Daniels. I've never been a massive JT Daniels fan. If you listen to the show long enough, you know that. Virginia, average defense stinks. They're Brennan Armstrong and a 20, 21 other players. Pitt, I'm going to put them in the divisional contenders. Uh, Oklahoma State, conference contenders. Because Oklahoma State's – I like Spencer Sanders. I know he's inconsistent, but I like Spencer Sanders. TCU, average. Texas Tech, average. I like Tyler Show, but average. Virginia Tech, average. Washington, average. And there we go. That's what we've got for college football tier list. T- college football playoff contenders. Bama, State, Georgia, conference contenders, SC, Oklahoma, Michigan, Utah, Clemson, Oregon, Oklahoma State. Could be wrong. Could be very wrong. Divisional contenders, Wisconsin, Iowa, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State, Wake Forest, NC State, Florida, Penn State, Pitt, above average, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tech, Tennessee, I think, again, they could beat a lot of, those three teams can beat a lot of teams of divisional contenders, but we're talking about they ain't competing for divisions when Alabama and Georgia exist. I'm sorry. Texas Tech, Texas A&M, uh, Louisville, Michigan State, Miami, UCLA, Notre Dame, average, Auburn, Mississippi State. Ole Miss, LSU, Arizona State, Stanford, Northwestern, Kansas State, Maryland, North Carolina, Florida State, Michigan, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, Purdue, Cal, South Carolina, Boston College, Washington State, West Virginia, Virginia, TCU, Texas Tech, Virginia Tech, Washington, and terrible teams, Virginia Tech, or Virginia Tech, Vanderbilt, Illinois, Rutgers, Duke, Cuse, Kansas, Arizona, which is weird. They're called the Wildcats. It says bear down on their field, but that's another thing. Georgia Tech, Beavers, Tigers, Buffaloes, and wherever the hell a Hoosier is are all sitting at the bottom of their conferences. Could be very harsh. Michael Penix is at Washington. We'll see if he bounces back. He battled some injuries last year for Indiana, but he's talented. We'll see if he actually lives up to the hype that he had last year where he's supposed to be one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. It sucked major cock last year. But again, he was injured. He had some injuries, so... I think that's all we've got for you on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Not really, we'll talk about the NFL more on Tuesday or on Wednesday because that'll be the preview of the Hall of Fame game, and uh, we'll go more in depth. I also want to go over the World Cup because on Wednesday, on, when I record on Tuesday, it'll be 111 days until the 2022 World Cup, and I just think all those ones together is kind of cool. So we'll do that one. I want to talk about the United States squad for the 2022 World Cup. I want to talk about the NFL. Premier League, we'll talk about that more on Friday because the first game of the season against Arsenal and Crystal Palace is on Friday, so we'll talk about that for Friday's show. So yeah, we've got everything planned out for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I greatly apologize. We'll try to be better last time. Again, make sure you're following Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, you're listening to it right now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you're following and or subscribed on both. Leave a rating out of five stars on both. Leave a description down below on why you feel your way you do about the show. If you didn't like it, again, I apologize. We'll do better next time, hopefully. If you enjoyed it, we'll try to keep doing the same thing. So with that being said, I will see you all later. Hope you have a good day. Peace.